Welcome back to Winning at Life. All right, we are back with uh, another episode, and we have on here Caleb as well. I've kind of adopted him, put him in the fold, and uh, he is now you know working with me as we do this, as we uh, kind of relate this information that's in this book out there, hopefully making it a little more digestible for those that are listening, for our listeners to kind of apply it to their life. And uh, today we are going over resources, processes, and priorities, and how that kind of was built in by our upbringing. In this chapter, it kind of covers when you're raising kids. However, Caleb and I are bachelors, and we don't have any sort of dependence to help influence and shape, but we are in a position of leadership, which I think this can apply across the board. So when we were reading this chapter, we were able to reflect on some of the things that we've experienced in our upbringing. And as we kind of fall in this position of leadership and how to frame minds uh, as well. So when you're listening to this, understand if you do have kids that these apply all across the board, no matter where you're at. But Caleb, thank you for being on with me today. Uh, I'm glad that we kind of started to uh, dedicate a portion of our Sundays to sitting down here and just having a conversation, right? Oh, absolutely, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on again, buddy. And I appreciate you more than anything for adopting me. I know you said <laughs> that your pretty much focuses around parents and child rearing, but uh, and I know you don't have any kids of your own, but I guess in a in a sense, adopting me to this show kind of kind of plays the part. But uh, absolutely love doing with this this with you, man, and kind of bringing the value that we bring. But no, I really like this chapter just because up until now, again, the book is how will you measure your life, and we've been talking about the foundational cornerstones of it: relationships, mindset, and things like that. But this is one of those first chapters in which you're starting to take those basic foundational cornerstones and starting to apply them to your real life. And as you said here, like the example that the author talks about in this chapter, oftentimes is focused around bringing up kids. But at the same time, like you said, it does work across the board, because when you're bringing up children, you are in a position of leadership and you're trying to teach someone a better way or a proper way to do things, but not just teach them how to do it, teach them how to think so that when they're in their situation on their own without you, they now have the resources, the processes and the priorities necessary to make those decisions, extrapolate data and make a course of action from it. And I think that whether you're a parent or a CEO or an agency owner or just even someone in your community or your friend circle that is in a position of leadership and respect, the same principles and the concepts here apply no matter where you are. And so I'm super excited to get this one here with you today, man. It's got a lot of value and I can't wait to see what we bring. Oh, 100%. And, you know, as we kind of dive into this, I just want to remind our viewers and our listeners that this book is cumulative. It goes all the way across the board. You can relate chapter one to chapter seven, chapter seven to chapter 11, and so on and so forth. And that's what I really love about it, because it's a very cumulative depiction of how we kind of journey through our life and some of the things that arises and brings and brings it to our attention as well. But as we dive into this, we've talked about resources, processes, and priorities. Now, Caleb, we are exposed to uh, a multitude of resources as we are like in our upbringing and so on, whether it's knowledge, whether it's assets, whether it's um, anything that you can take and then apply it elsewhere. Now, those processes are how you arrange and utilize that those resources in a way to benefit you for an objective, whether it's you know, you're learning this information, then you, you self-teach yourself. And as entrepreneurs, you know that we are always 
taking these resources and applying it and structuring it in a way to formulate our own processes and which leads us to priorities. Now, priorities are things that you're going to hold true to as almost as since as uh, me and you have talked before as those values or your standards. You know, these are what you will not accept and anything above that is something that you will uh, that you will allow yourself to accept. But priorities also come down to, you know, family, faith, uh, you know, and so on, as far as where you're structuring the, the allocation of those resources and the energy in those processes. So I guess uh, it kind of, in this chapter, it highlighted a lot about outsourcing. You know, mm -hmm. what happens when you start pushing, uh, whether you're, you're, you're bringing up kids or if you, as yourself, when you're uh, growing up, we're outsourcing other ways and then how those influences kind of impact the way you use your resources and then developing those processes and then structuring your priorities from those outside influences that aren't brought up within the home itself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No. And, you know, I thought that was an absolutely fascinating concept of this chapter because it starts off with the example of Dell. Dell, the computer makers, you know, they do a lot of things. They have a lot of computer chips, hardware, software, all these different factors. But as time goes on in industry, just like in life with raising kids and leaders and things like that, over time, outsourcing becomes more and more tempting to where you say, hey, you know what? I've been doing all this on my own but I would really like to select a portion of it, give it to someone else to handle, and then integrate that back into our system. And so Dell reached a point in their, in their, in their growth of the company where they started doing that. Dell had a mission, Dell had a goal, Dell had a vision for where they wanted their company to go. But what they started doing was outsourcing certain products of theirs to be made by other companies in other countries. And over time, what was really interesting was that the companies that they outsourced to started making the products a little bit differently than how Dell wanted them to be reflected as and made. Because when Dell outsourced their products, when Dell outsourced their, their, um, their product, those other companies started instilling their values, their culture, their grades on it. And that ended up affecting Dell negatively. And when you look at that from a company standpoint, I think it's very fascinating to think about how in the exact same way in most people's lives, at some point or another, we have been outsourced or we have outsourced people that we're responsible for. And the example he comes back to here with kids is how many times as a parent or how many times as a, as a leader or a company have you said, okay, this is the goal. This is who I am. This is what I want to have happen for my life, my company, my, my family. But then even though your values are here, over time, you start seeing that in the leaders you raise or in the kids that you parent, those values start to disappear or that path becomes less and less clear. And the author does an incredible job of highlighting that one of the main factors of this comes to outsourcing a lot of your development. And so you gave the example earlier about, you know, kind of our backgrounds and talking through that a little bit. You know, both of us went to school and traditionally when we were, when kids were being raised, a lot of their growth came from within the home. It came from parents teaching you how to do this or that, teaching their values, teaching their morals, teaching how they handle conflict resolution. To now most kids are being outsourced through school systems to where now someone else is pretty much raising their kids, um, teaching them how to think, teaching them what to think, teaching them how to solve problems, teaching them conflict resolution of how they believe it should be handled. And then all of a sudden parents at some point in time think, well, how in the world have I been, how did my kid get from point A to point B? And I think a lot of it is this outsourcing issue that we run into. You're 100% correct. Like when it comes down to it, 
the more that you let outside influences be projected onto your kids, the less influence that you are proceeding over their life. And it comes down to the question or, you know, whether it's you're allowing, you're taking your kids to some sort of recreational sport and, uh, or maybe that they're doing some piano lessons or some other things where they're receiving this sort of mentorship from an outside source, then it starts to create some sort of disparity between your teachings, your values, your priorities that you want to instill with your kids, but now they're being interjected and kind of intercepted by the other influences that they're being exposed to. Now, I'm not, now I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to go and put your kid in recreational sports, because there's some things that those sports are going to teach those kids that are going to actually benefit them when they actually, when they, when they're adults and they're being exposed to life lessons, right? To overcoming it. Like a big thing for me was when in wrestling and I contribute a lot of the characteristics that I have today to those times where I was being pushed to the limit to those times where I was uncomfortable and I had to continue to be uncomfortable until I was uncomfortable with being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense right there. But the amount of self-discipline that I've had to instill in myself to obtain certain goals or some certain uh, certain objectives that I've led to myself and push those mental, uh, my mental, my mentality to a new level to help ensure that I achieve those and perform to the level that I want to perform. Absolutely. And you hit it right on the head as far as that outsourcing in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to building leaders or raising kids or things like that, at some point it becomes necessary. There's only so much you can do in a day and there might be someone out there, there might be a program out there that can do a better job of teaching certain skills than you are able to do so yourself. And so outsourcing is absolutely imperative. What I think is more of an issue that a lot of people run into is the fact that they might outsource too early. And I think a huge portion of this comes into the fact that, you know, we live in an immediate generation, immediate gratification, call us the microwave generation for a reason, because we're so used to having things done very quickly. And especially look at social media, all these quote unquote influence out, influence out, out there, influencers, excuse me, out there saying, hey, if you want to get a better body, outsource workouts to this diet. If you want to get into a better position with guys or girls, outsource what you're, outsource your money to these clothes or, or this image, or if you're trying to build a business outsource it to these processes. And there is merit in that. There's absolutely merit in that because all those things exist for a reason. There is probably some truth behind it. But the problem I think a lot of people run into is if they try to outsource too early, they're going to have issues. And what I mean by that is it goes back to exactly what we talked about here just a moment ago. There are essentially three stages. You have to have your resources. What's around you? What do you know? What information have you gathered? But secondly, you have to have a process. And I think that's where most people skip. People go straight from resources to priorities. Hey, I've got this amount of money. I'm going to put it in this amount of things. They never really try to take the time to think about which way should I implement it. And I guess the best way I can summarize it is that when you look at building leaders or when you look at raising kids or being in a position of authority and responsibility, there's a difference in knowing what to think and knowing how to think. And I think that's a key point of this chapter right here is that a lot of people growing up since a very early age, we're told what to do. We're told how to solve this problem, use this equation. In this scenario, this is what you implement. But life, as you well know, life isn't a classroom. Life isn't a textbook. Life is one of the most cruel teachers you'll ever have because they give the test first and then the lesson afterwards. Yeah, and it's not a standardized so, test either. 
Exactly. <laughs> standardized test. Everyone brings their unique perspective into it. Everybody brings their unique experience to that unique situation. And I think something that is very important that many of us forget is we forget to teach the next generation and we forget to teach the next generation of leaders how to think. It's so simple to say, hey, this is what you're going to go do. Go to soccer, go to this, go to school, go to this. But how do you think? And um, the book gives you know, great examples of this through American generations. But I can say for me personally, uh, one of the biggest influences of this in my life did come through my parents. My parents, I, I was more than blessed in the fact that I had parents that had to play a very active role in my upbringing. Now, they weren't helicopter parents or anything like that, but my father had one saying he said over and over and over again to me every day of my life, almost, it felt like, and that was, I'm raising you to leave. I'm raising <laughs> you to leave. And now, that sounds crazy. Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> of my house. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, because like, what kind of parent would say that, but understand where he's coming from. He's like, I'm trying to teach you skills, not just what to do, but how to think through it and how to come to your situations on your own. That way, when you go out in the world. You can come up with your own processes based upon the resources you have and then implement those processes and those resources to the priorities that you have as well. Yeah. And not to interject or anything like that, but I just recently listened to a podcast and I thought this was extremely uh, applicable to what we're talking about here. And it was with Ed Milet. And as you know, I reached out to Ed Milet and uh, tried to get him on the show with us, but Sadly, no response. It was a shot in the dark, but you know what? I took the shot. So, but with that aside, it was one of his podcasts and who we had on was an individual. I can't, I'm not good with names. I can't remember the name uh, exactly, but it was one of his more recent podcasts. And it was actually about a young, uh, an individual, well, he's not a young man anymore, but he was a, he was a young boy and he was playing with fire in his dad's, uh, in his dad's garage or in his family home. And it ended up, it was with gasoline and there was a huge explosion and he burned 90% of his body, lost his, uh, lost some of his fingers and, you know, amputations, which as you can imagine would make a young boy's life extremely difficult moving forward. Hmm. And after months of rehabilitation in the hospital, five and a half months to be uh, exactly if I remember correctly, but after that rehabilitation process, and he was at home with his families and his loved ones, and he talked about how amazing it was, but then he also talked about the downside that he was only fixated on, uh, that, that really kind of rung or resonated in his mind was, I'm hungry and I can't eat because I'm missing fingers and it's tough. And his sister, his, uh, you know, his loving sister started to try to feed him. And his mom said, told the sister, not, told her daughter not to feed him. If he's hungry, he will feed himself. And mm -hmm. I thought that was, you know, that's very, you know, you could be looking at that and you're like, that is some terrible parenting. Like, why would they want their child to suffer? But it's through those circumstances that they develop the certain processes in which the, how they to, to utilize those resources to benefit them in real life. And, and that's how we're relating this to this book. It's because she knew, the mother knew at that point in time that her son is going to live a very difficult life and not have certain uh, certain aspects that other other children were to do. And she made a conscious decision at that point in time that he is going to learn now rather than later. And I thought that was very extremely important because it's not it's in, in a common theme in this book. It's what your parents don't do for you that benefit your children or you as you were brought up than what they did do for you and. Yeah, and that what, what that does is helps build that self-esteem. 
And that self-esteem is I'm not afraid to confront this problem. I think I can solve it. And I think that's a that's a disconnect that we have in the micro, microwave generation is that we are faced with a problem and we don't have the self-esteem or self-confidence to overcome it. Mm. You hit on a really good point there. I think that's so true in many ways, not just from personal opinion, but it's proven true statistically. And uh, to take it back, I guess I'll go, you talk about the microwave generation. That's something that our generation is called all the time. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that just because of that instant gratification, but also the fact that a lot of us through most of our lives, we've been enabled in some way, shape or form to which someone else has fought the battles we've never really fought for ourselves. And so staying with the generational timeframe, take it back to two, maybe three generations for some of us, two to maybe three. We have the greatest generation of all time, considered the greatest American generation to ever live. And that was the generation from World War II. Those born from like 1926 to like the 19... 30, like, so that 1910, like 1920, uh, 30, all those men, women, they fought in World War II in some way, shape, or form. And they had incredible, incredible um, impacts, not just on our country's history, but in really worldwide impacts as their influence in turning the tide of that war and what could have been had they never been involved. But to understand the impact that they had, you have to go back deeper to where they came from, right? Not just how old they were, not just their time in the war, but what got them to the point where they could have such an impact. And if you look at it, it was a, their products of the Great Depression. And so, as you know, Aaron, for me, like my master's degrees in statistics, uh, econ and statistics. And so we studied all this type of stuff, society, um, socioeconomic levels, all these different variables and input factors to determine the world around us. And one of the most fascinating studies I remember looking into was what does it take to ruin a family? What does it take to ruin a family? And the answer is three generations. You have the generation who came from nothing, worked really hard to build something for themselves. They struggled, they toiled, they, they, uh, they worked really hard. You have the second generation, their kids. Their kids, they see the transition from poverty to uh, prosperity. They see the struggle, took the sacrifice, the discipline, and the work ethic. And then you have the third generation. By this third generation, the wealth is already built up. All right, the work is already pretty much done. And then you fall into this trap. And the trap is every parent wants to live a better, leave a better life for their kid. Every parent wants their kid to have a better life than they did. And that's admirable, but it's very important to understand in what way do you want them to have a better life? A lot of people, I think they make the mistake of thinking, I want my kid to have a better life by giving them everything, by everything that I didn't have, everything that I was lacking. I want to make sure they never lack a day in their life. And when it comes to things like, you know, maybe food or clothes or shelter, absolutely. Yes, you want to make sure you leave a better impact for the next generation. But I think some people take it too far and they forget that some of the best lessons in life come through the struggle. They come through difficulty. And so when you think about it this way, those kids in the great, uh, those people that grew up in the Great Depression, they're the ones who went from the worst times, some of the worst, most difficult times in American history to raising kids that saw what it took, the resolution, the creativity, the thriftiness. They saw people that had no money, markets were terrible. They saw their parents get very creative in ways to survive, all right? And then they implemented those exact same things. They took that grit, that fortitude, and they went into World War II. They established themselves. They made a worldwide impact. But then they came back, they saw the destitution, they saw the poverty, they saw the horrors of mankind sometimes, and they realized that, hey, growing up as a product of the Great Depression, my parents were a product of it, I didn't have much, I want to make sure my kids has all the toys, all the nice things, all the fun stuff, they don't have to worry about anything in their life. Again, great, great heart, but what are you now doing? 
you're taking away your child's understanding of this is when difficult times comes here, you can solve a problem, taking away gratitude, taking away the, the, the willingness, the, the, even the desire to work. And a great stat the book talked about was that nowadays in modern times, like there are fewer and fewer uh, men um, that are in high school and college getting part-time jobs and same thing for women. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, sometimes parents would argue the fact that I want my kid to focus on school. I want my kid to focus on sports and having a great time, which is, which is good. But think back to all that first job taught you, discipline, what it meant to make a dollar, you know, the sacrifice of it, being a leader, all these different things. And so I think that even though you want to provide a better life for your child, providing a better life doesn't mean getting rid of every difficulty you had, because some of those difficulties are the very things that made you successful. And if you take away those foundations from your next generation, all you're going to do is set them up for failure and doom them to that third generation curse. No, I completely agree. And Caleb, in our industry, I feel like we kind of run into this problem. We kind of glaze on it when you were mentioning school and and, uh, and those aspects was when we present a family banking technique to help fund for children's college and, and aspects of that nature. And we can see how we can structure them in a way to receive a growth in those funds to the point where their kid doesn't have to worry about, um, you know, paying for their school rather than uh, whatnot. But it, also we structure it in a way to the point where they do take, they can take out those loans, but we have a sufficient amount to cover it. And when I do structure uh, whether it's you know a million dollar baby or something to, to kind of give those opportunities to those kids, I make sure that I structure it in a way that they utilize just enough to get them through college. And in, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, when I sit down with families, I think that's a that's a thing and it goes through their head is that I don't want my kid to have things gifted to, them in in a sense. But as time moves on in our society how education is such a, param- a paramount in it and that people need it to in order to obtain a well-paying job I think it is important to kind of understand that the way we kind of structure we're not trying to give their kid an easy life but we're trying to open up that opportunity to where they have that uh, where they have that opportunity to use those resources to develop those processes and and ultimately find their priorities through the upbringing of their, of their kid. And I love that you, you, and you use the generation of the great depression leading into the great generation, uh, you know, the families that went through the great depression and then to the, uh, the great, the world war two and whatnot. And their part that they played into it, because I have a, you know, I have a grandma who lives in world war that lived through the world war two timeframe and, and touched on the great uh, depression. And if, Anyone that's listening has elderly uh, grandparents that lived through that time. They know that they don't get rid of anything. They keep those, they keep expired uh, uh, foods in the cabinet for so long and everything because they lived a life where they didn't have sufficient resources. So they, that, that's how they were, they're very frugal with what they had. And now we're in a relationship or uh, in a generation where we've been booming. And there's that saying that says, Weak or uh, bad times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men. And I think that we're in the section of this generation where we're in the good times creating weak men. And that, and when we are hit with something, and now we need to reset, we're going to be pushed into, uh, in, in, um, what's his name? Oh, what's his name? He talks about the generational, um, uh, generational pattern. I can't uh, think of it. 
but I can't think of the top of my head, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he talks about the generational pattern where we face these events to instill these values moving forward to help benefit the whole. And if you listen, if you listen to me enough, you know, I talk about Marcus Aurelius and he talks about the universe not prescribing something that doesn't benefit the whole. And when the whole starts to health starts to decline, there is going to be some sort of adversity placed in the path that will get the, the whole back on track. And you can break that down to the ridiculous where it's applying to your life individually. But we go back into uh, talking about like kind of hinting more on the priorities of life. When you kind of, if you went back to your parents and you asked them, what do you think the pivotal, pivotal things that they taught or that they felt like had the most impact in your life, it's going to be very different from how you interpreted it. Mm. You know, your parents are going to sit down and be like, okay, this is, I'm going to be intentional about this learning topic. But then when you get back together with all your siblings and it, and it mentioned uh, a family, a family friend of his in the book that he, that he was talking about this. But as you banter with your siblings and stuff like that, teaching all these life lessons, it wasn't the lessons that their parents were intentionally trying to teach that that took root. It was those lessons that they faced adversities in that sculpted them into who they are today. And I thought that was an extremely incredible perspective that you don't really take account of until it's hindsight. But now we're in a position here, Caleb, where we're in, we're talking about this information so that maybe that our listeners will be able to, to acknowledge things happening more readily rather than hindsight. Uh, I think that's so true, Ryan. And I think that you bring a lot of, lot of, lot of good value in that. And, you know, kind of listen to you talk, you know, I keep going back and I want to keep just kind of going back to the, the, the generations, you know, just looking at the change in people over time, not just in their work ethic, but also maybe in their aspirations and their dreams, but also how much they value the things in their life as well as the people in their life. And you made the comment, like you go back to like your great, your grandparents or your great grandparents, maybe even your parents even, and how there's so much things of like frugality there. Mm -hmm. Nothing goes to waste. You don't, you don't throw something out. And so Another thing that we, yes, we're in a microwave generation a lot of times, but something else that has been going around that I've heard several times uh, this generation called is the disposable generation, the disposable generation, because when you live in that instant gratification, something so easy, it's, hey, you know, my, I ripped my shirt, you know what, rather than sew it up a little bit, let me just go spend a little bit of money in the store and grab another one. Again, that's great. You wanted your kids and we want our kids to have a better life than we did, but it comes back down to the fact of look at the resources. And when you look at the um, processes and the priorities, you want to leave better resources. I think that's the key. I think that's the key. Every parent needs and wants to leave better resources for their kid. However, the processes and the priorities still have to be taught. And I'll give you a really good example of this. So going back, my, uh, my grandfather's a guy before he passed away, even now I respect him tremendously, but he came up in a very, very low income situation, um, very low income. Went into the army as one of his ways out, uh, spent 30 years there, helped him pay for schooling. When he got out, he was still broke as a joke, but he went out and he went out and he, struck, he worked at a seed company. He just sold seeds, loading and unloading trucks. Well, when my father was born and his four brothers, they still didn't have much money. They lived in a shotgun house in the outside suburbs in the bad side of Louisville. They shopped in day old bread stores, hand-me-down clothes. And my father, at the age of 12, along with his brothers, every morning before school would have to go to my uh, my grandfather's work and they would have to help him load and unload semi-trucks full of seed. And then after school, did the exact same thing. Now, what happened was 
my grandfather did everything he possibly could to give them better resources. He was able to help them all go to college, something that was so important to him. He gave them better resources, but what did he not do? He didn't take away the process of, hey, you are getting this opportunity because I'm putting in this work and you need to see the work that it takes to get there. And so he made them do that, but it taught character, it taught unity, it taught humbleness, it taught all these different characteristics that a school would not have taught, or that going to the sports club wouldn't have taught to that extent, because yes, you can go to athletics and you can see sacrifice and discipline from a coach telling you to do it, or maybe a teammate, but when you think about the most pivotal people in, in most kids' lives, it's their parents. How much more valuable would it be to see that from your parent as opposed to a coach telling you to do it? And so my father and his brothers went on to have very good careers. But all of a sudden, there comes me. I'm the third generation. I didn't see that transition. Now, my father, he had done well. He had done exactly what his father tried to do and give us better resources for the future. So I didn't have to go work in a seed mill at the age of 12. But my father understood that although the resources were better, he still needed to teach the processes and the priorities. And so when I was eight, my parents decided to move us out of the city into a farm. Never grew up on a farm before, but all of a sudden I'm put into like manual labor and work job that's not fun. And I was being outsourced as an eight-year-old to other farms to help them do their hay and their animals and all this and that, right? Um, but it wasn't because we lacked resources now. It was because we needed to instill processes and priorities. And when I look back, my father is definitely that type of guy where nothing gets thrown away. Everything's used, even though he's got, even though now he doesn't have to be that way. It's that process instilled in him, but one of the most pivotal ways, and this is what I'm trying to get to, the point I'm trying to get to here, and I want to give you that backstory, is I think that the processes and the priorities and going through that struggle, knowing what it takes to build something, helps you understand the value of something. And where that plays a massive role, and I think in our generation today, especially as the disposable generation, is in our relationships. How many people have you known? I'm sure there's been a lot of them, but, you know, they get into a relationship that they never had to work at. You know, it was, oh, you swiped right, I swiped right. I don't really know. Nothing's anything wrong with it, but a lot of people, they don't really work at relationships anymore. It's just, oh, you look nice. I look nice. Let's start dating. They never take the time to lay the groundwork. They never take the time to wake up at 6 a.m. before school and go work in a feed mill to understand the value of a relationship. Mm -hmm. But then the moment things get difficult, the moment things get tough, you know what? Instant gratitude, microwave generation. I'm going to jump on Instagram. I'm going to jump on Facebook or Snapchat and look at all these different things out there that, in my opinion, are going to be easier and better because the grass is always greener. But because we don't value what we have a lot of times because of that lack of work, that lack of trust, that lack of those skill sets, you know, we end up throwing away some of the best things in our lives because we're never taught the process and the priority of how to maintain them. Yeah. And Caleb, just kind of going off of that, I did recently when I had an opportunity to speak with my old high school, with uh, my old high school football team as they went into their playoff uh, playoff game. Not only was that an honor to do so, but I also had a chance to run into old teachers, old people that had that influence on me. And we had the conversation about what exactly social media is doing from generation to generation, because every person that or uh, every individual that participated in some sort of athletic through their school they'll come back and I, I feel like this is across the board but they're like did we really look like this did we look this soft 
or something like that uh, of, of that extent. But I was sitting down with a, her name was Kim Booker. I would used to bring her, I used to like skip school, come to school late, bring her a sweet tea and she'd like write off my attendance like I was there all day. So <laughs> she, was a, she was a solid one. Me and her got to catch up a lot. And uh, I'd spend a lot of time in that attendance office, you know, with that, like uh, to build that relationship with her. And when we were sitting down there watching the football game, I was talking to her about Instagram and Snapchat and TikToks and all this, all this other things that we were kind of in the brink of as we were growing up, like it was being exposed. It was being like, uh, it was hitting the market, but it wasn't to the extent that it is now where people mm. are completely emerged in it. And I kind of want to go back to the, the, the statement that you made that the grass is greener on the other side. And what I love about the company and the industry that we've been in and the, the entrepreneur mindset that we have to have to have, we start to understand that we can make our grass green. Absolutely. If we take care of it, if we water it, if we put the fertilizer in it, if we continue to grow it. And that's something that, as you said, that people outsource and they're kind of outsourcing through their phone. That's right there in front of them. That, that's on them all times that when they're feeling unhappy, they start project, they start outsourcing that, you know, that internal problem through those devices, through those, uh, those networks and, and, and whatnot and those apps to where that they can start getting that fulfillment of that better lifestyle by living someone else's. And as is in this company, we've had mentorships and leaders, leaders come down and say that they don't watch TV because they're watching someone else's life. Why yes. not build their own life? They don't watch the, they don't look on Instagram or, or social media and admire someone else's life. They build their own reality that they feel fulfillment in rather than outsource it and find that fulfillment elsewhere. And I think that's a huge problem that we're going to run in. And it's kind of, it's, it's going to be scary moving forward as we bring up our own kids, kind of that sort of knowledge being exposed and how do we shelter our kids from that? And I think that's a lot of people, if they are listening or something that maybe that that's a, that's, that's a problem that they don't ask themselves because they don't know how to answer or they don't, they don't want to ask themselves that question because it's how scary it can be. You know, you know, man, it is, it is terrifying at times to think about even just in our own lives, like the friendships we make, the partnerships we establish, you know, it's like, how do I know that the person on the other end of that friendship or that under the end of that relationship is going to value me and, have, and value what I bring to the table the same way I'm going to value them. And, and more importantly, when things do get difficult, when things are tough, how do I know they're not going to outsource that to other people? So for instance, like, all of a sudden, you know, we run into a little bit of a rough patch, things are difficult, like life gets, and I'm not quote as happy as I was before, unquote. But understanding that happiness sometimes is a feeling that will come and go, but love and commitment is a decision. That's an action, right? But how do I know that, you know, when that dis unhappiness comes or when those difficult times hit, that they're not going to go outsource it to someone else. And more importantly, when you start raising kids, when you start, you know, building up leaders, how do you help them understand how to do it? And you mentioned it, like, how do you protect and shelter them from it? And so I think it's really important uh, to, to kind of hit on this topic that you don't shelter or hide them from it. You teach them how to deal with it. You teach them how to avoid, how to set it up. And um, there's a concept in this book and it says, you know, what your parents didn't teach you, 
is just as valuable, if not even more valuable than what they did teach you. Because what's funny is your, your life is like a 24 seven radar beacon. It is constantly giving out signals to the people that look up to you in any way, shape or form. Now, some of these signals you might be intentionally giving, but others, even when you're not paying attention, you are intentionally giving those out. And those are the ones that we pick up more than anything, because as we've all heard, actions speak louder than words. And kids and followers, they look at your actions, not what you say to determine, are you someone who is true to their word? And I guess the best uh, the best quick summary I can give on this is there's a story that I've really grown to appreciate and like, and it encompasses this concept. It's the story of an alcoholic father, the story of an alcoholic father. And so there's an alcoholic father. He raises two boys. Now, this father, he's not a very nice guy. He's, he's verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, you know, mentally abusive to his spouse and his kids. And as the boys grow up, one becomes a very violent, abusive, mean alcoholic. And when people asked him, why did you become this way? Or how did you become this way? He, he responds back, I watched my father. Now, the other son, he grows up to become a very loving father. He's super kind to his kids, never drinks a day in his life, is an amazing husband, the best guy that you could possibly be. And when asked, hey, how did you become this way? He said, I watched my father. And so sometimes it's not so much what you do. It's not trying to shelter or hide. It's giving an example in that difficulty. So for like us, you know, we're going to be growing up in that difficult time. We're growing up in the social media era. And so it's not so much about hiding and preventing our kids or preventing the ones that look up to us from avoiding that. It's setting a very clear and distinct example in it of, hey, this is what I value. This is what I stand for. This is how I go about it. I don't live in a disposal generation. I'm not a microwave generation. I work hard for what I love. I work hard to what I value. I don't quit. I don't walk away when things are tough. I'm going to sacrifice. And when I say sacrifice, as we talked about last time, you have sacrificial tendencies within an exchange to get something back in value, either that you provide or they provide. But you set that example. And I think that's the most powerful thing because when you think about it, trying to shelter or hide someone from that, what good does it do them? At some point, you're not going to be there. At some point, you're not going to be there, and they're going to face these issues. And going back to just kind of my life and my father, it was so crazy, the responsibilities that he gave me from such a young age. It was honestly ridiculous. Tickets, man, 200 tickets. That's it was ridiculous. ridiculous. The responsibilities <laughs> he gave me, I'm like, there was sometimes I'm thinking like, man, how in the world am I getting away with this? Like, And to, to give you an example, Aaron, the time I was like nine years old, he talked to me like I was a full grown man. It was never yelling at me. It was never belittling me. It was never okay. It was a full grown man having a conversation. And he was like, and I was like, why in the world could I get upset? Could I talk to my dad in the way a full grown man would talk to him? And he gave me the answer. He said, because you're nine years old, you're old enough to make your own decisions. And when you're out there hanging out with your friends, you're going to make a decision I'm not there for. And he said, you're going to live with the consequences. So if you're old enough to make conscious decisions, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to talk to you and treat you like you're old enough to make conscious decisions. And what that ended up doing was, again, going back to teaching those processes of not just what to think, don't do this, how to think. Hey, Caleb, if you make that decision, I'm just curious, what are the outcomes from it? Okay, if this outcome occurs, how do you feel about it? How do you think? And um, the saying he always told me was the reason. I want to set the example and the reason why I let you make your own decisions. I walk through them with you, but I let you make the final calls. Cause again, I want to teach you how to think, but he said more than anything, he said, because very soon you're going to turn left. 
And what he meant by that was this. I was, you know, probably 14 or 15 at that point in time. But again, he talked to me like I was a 50-year-old guy. That was the responsibilities that I had. But I was about to get my driver's license. And there's a left-hand turn outside my driveway. And so he said, the moment you turn left, that's the moment you're now making decisions. You're making you're making decisions as a man. And like he said, for me to shelter you from anything is the biggest disservice I could do because the moment you turn left, you're exposed to it all. And I'm not there. He said, so I'm going to do my very best to set an example for you in these instances. How, how to set an example of someone who stands up for what they believe in, who is kind, compassionate, who communicates, who doesn't uh, throw people away because of a fleeting feeling or doesn't lose value or quake or quiver when, when your morals are challenged and compromised. He goes, I'll be the best example I can be because at the end of the day, that's all I can be. And he right. said, that's all I can do. That's all I can do. But you're going to turn left. And he said, so I will be the best I can be for you. And then whatever decisions you make after that, that's up to you. But it's my job to make sure that I do everything I can to prepare you to make those decisions. And then at that point, it's on you. I love that. Your dad's a, he's, he's got his own philosophy. He might as well write a book on it, honestly. <laughs> he, uh, he raised a, 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 an amazing kid, so, or amazing young man. So, um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I, pretty much everything that I feel, uh, feel like that we could cover within that chapter itself. Uh, unless you have something more that you would like to add to it, Caleb. I've got one more thing, and, and this is something that I, I think is a, a very important point to bring up, because as you know, you know, facts, they tell. Everything we've been talking about right here, you know, people can probably hear that, they can understand it, and they think, yeah, I'd agree. But stories, they sell you. Stories are the ones that make you really understand the value of putting in perspective. And so there's a there's this old Greek fable that I thought was really powerful, and it comes back down to outsourcing. What do you believe in, and who are you teaching? But the fable of Theseus. So Athens uh, was created where they, the legend goes, the myth goes, that it was founded by this man named Theseus who extinguished and pretty much killed the minotaur that was, was running the city. And when they did this, Theseus sailed in on a ship to conquer this minotaur. And the Greeks, after he did so, preserved his ship. And as a symbol as, of strength, as a symbol of overcoming and gratitude, they wanted to make sure that Theseus's ship always was sailing in the harbor. And so they had it out in the harbor for years upon years upon years. But of course, salt water and biological factors are going to eat away at that wood. And so as time would go on, there would be planks that needed replaced, masts and sails and ropes that had to be um, reassembled. And they would take out the bad and put in new to keep it afloat until over time, Aaron, the ship that was out there was called Theseus's ship but none of the original pieces of hardware or wood were original. Right. And so it created the conundrum of, is that really his ship anymore? And when I think, when I look at that story, oftentimes I think about our kids or even the people that we lead and give an example of is the fact that this is our kid. But if we outsource everything to other people, their sports, if we outsource how they think, if we outsource someone who teaches them how to handle emotions, how to process this, if we outsource their values, outsource their mentorship, if every single part of our kids' lives are outsourced to someone else, is that really our kid anymore? Or is that just the concept of what our kid used to be? And that's why I think a lot of people, they look back and they think, my gosh, how in the world did I get to this point? Or my relationship. If I'm outsourcing my happiness through looking at Instagram reels and I'm looking at perfect relationships on there as opposed to working on my own. Or if I'm outsourcing my physical happiness by looking at bodybuilders on Facebook or in the gym and not working on my own, how much of me really is there left? How much of my relationship is there? 
if everything that I could be doing to improve it, I'm simply looking or visualizing or sending somewhere else to get that satisfaction. And I think that's why a lot of people all of a sudden they wake up one day and some of the best things in their lives, some of the best people in their life, they just don't know how they got to this point. It's right. because piece by piece, you've been replacing those planks to where, yeah, you still have the shell of that ship, but nothing is the original anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, I love how I love you know, closing that out with that because that just, that just seals in what exactly what we were talking about when it comes to relationships and how you nurture these relationships and build those children with your values. And if you keep continue to outsource them, yes, biologically, that child is yours. You, you made that child, but it's not all about your, your, your mentality or your mental, your mind and your body are two different beings, in my opinion. Now yeah. your physical life, that's, you know, that's, that's just given, but what you sculpt and instill in those young minds as they become is an entirely different thing that you are responsible for as the, as the, the, as the parent, as the guardian and so on, you're responsible for making sure that you instill those onto your kids because as your physical body, uh, ceases to exist as the process, you know, through death and whatnot, that is what's going to live on. Hmm. And, you know, a famous family is notorious for that. And that's the Rockefellers. As they continue to build, they put their uh, life lessons, struggles that they faced in their lifetime and their generation into a bank or through the trust. And those generations, as generations come through, they have access to that to understand what sort of values that they were being instilled and how they were taking care of these or using their resources in these processes to align with their priorities and so on. So, Caleb, thank you for closing off with that. I almost forgot to forgot to uh, you know think of it or not. But again, you know, I think that this is pretty much sums up everything that we could talk about in this chapter. And honestly, I feel like this was a pretty long, you know, it felt short, but maybe it was long. I don't know, to be honest, <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly to kind of sit down with you and uh, to just go through it and think of. Uh, think of it hear your perspective on it and see what you think as well and i hope there was you know a, abundant amount of value that our listeners can listen or to, to hear and to take in and use as a resource as they make their own processes and to align it with their priorities as well so thank you all for uh listening in with us tonight and uh hope to see you guys again down the road as we continue to do this